journey. It's time to talk with Liz and Peter. Good morning. 5.35 a.m. Central Standard Time, Kansas. Folgers Coffee. Turn the fan off. It's kind of getting warm now. Our air conditioner's broken. <laughs> and we don't want the fan noise to show up when we're recording. So here we are. And this morning, I'm going to tiredly talk to you while sipping coffee about something I read a while back, but I thought it would be an interesting topic, and it's kind of an evergreen thing because it's a slow-moving situation. Um, and it's just a concept. It's the concept of the 15-minute neighborhood. And broadly, it just means a neighborhood that's designed where everything that you need is within a quarter hour walk of where you live. Or you could just say 15 minutes. Well, hey, I wanted to use their language. You know, maybe there's a reason that they decided to say that instead of being a normal human being and saying 15 minutes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so uh, basically you got your housing, you got your employment, you got your food, schools, other kinds of necessary daily infrastructure. Education, Uh services, Mm -hmm. green space, parks, walkways. So yeah, and all of it within 15 minutes walking distance. I just really liked this concept because I've lived in places that are like this and I really enjoyed it. The the part of Chicago that I lived in, when I thought about it, it had all of those things. There was an elementary school within walking distance, my grocery store, Julasco. What's that? It's the Chicago, like their version of Dylan's or Mm. Kroger, whatever your basic bitch, like dirty ass. Some of them are nice though, I guess. But anyway, yeah, so, you know, everything was there. Uh, but I, like, didn't have kids. And, I mean, it was nice that my job was, you know, within, I think it was, like, a 10-minute bus ride. But there was a bus stop right outside of where I lived. So I guess it wasn't a 15-minute walking distance neighborhood like this is, because that would be even more convenient. But I guess I've lived in something similar. One could argue that we lived in a 15-minute neighborhood in Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, yeah. So we lived in downtown Massachusetts Street in Lawrence, Kansas. Mm-hmm. And Mass Street had, like, all the shops. It's, like, Main Street, the main downtown street. And it had all the shops. There was a school right there. There was... 19th Street, there was a grocery store. Grocery store. The post office was there. Mm. Dry cleaning. Restaurants. Bars, restaurants. Bars, services. Haircut places, like, gas stations. Like, really everything. People walked all around, just, like, that little area. Like, that's not all of Lawrence. It's just, like, the little main downtown strip. But it was still really cool to walk out of our apartment and have everything accessible to us. Like, it really mm-hmm. felt empowering, kind of. And Yeah. I loved I barely drove when we lived down there. Yeah, it's like we would park our car in a neighborhood and just leave it there for several days. Because mm-hmm. we didn't need to go anywhere. Yeah, so I want more places to be like that. The suburbs are cool but they're kind of are they cool i go back and forth on it you know the things that i like about it i think you could also have in a a 15 minute neighborhood city setting some of the things i like about the suburbs they're safe they're spacious there's lots of greenery but 
really when you get down to it it's all kind of cookie cutter repetitive architecture the stuff that i don't like about it the main thing is that it's all car centric basically to get anywhere you have to own a car and with the way that cars are now you know there's the whole pollution aspect of it all but it's also just inconvenient you know to have to drive to anything when there are places in the world where you, you can just walk i think it also builds more community when you're able to just walk and seeing your neighbors walk about. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something you remember from living in Lawrence? Like we would just- Oh yeah, like you see the same people. See the same people, mm -hmm. tip your head to them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Even if you just know each other by sight, it created a sense of I belong here mm -hmm. that I don't get in the suburban neighborhood we live in now. Yeah, yeah, and I'm finding that the suburbs tend to be more conservative than our little city area. Oh yeah, you think? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you, Battle of the political yard signs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what made me think that was when you were talking about how living downtown in Lawrence, you felt the community because you saw the people and you could like give them the head nod you probably yeah. had before. And there's always like the same homeless people that are outside. And, yeah, and you, you nod know, at them you, too. You nod at them, give them money sometimes when you got it and whatnot. And you kind of look out for each other and you kind of know when things don't belong because we lived above a bar, basically, and I knew who all the regulars were at the bar, because I was also a regular at the bar, because I lived above it. But, so you would notice, like, people who didn't necessarily belong, or who weren't regulars, or, you know, who were kind of shady-looking weird. You could always tell when something's gonna pop off. Or, like, you could be sleeping peacefully in your bed and get a, get a call from your, like, I was a patron at this bar pretty regularly in my early 20s. Get a call from the door guy one day. Hey, I think this guy that you work with is passed out outside on the sidewalk. Can you come get him? I was across town in my bed. This door guy's calling me like, come get your friend. You know, yeah, it's just like, like the, people... You, you, well, and you know that you weren't the first person that they called. Like, they probably went down a list of like, all right, well, we've seen him with this person, this person, this person. But I just mean like, as far as like community goes, I I kind of woke up like, wow, that's someone going out of their way to, to help someone out. And they kind of knew who I was and that kind of familiarity. They trusted is, you. They had the wherewithal to think of you to help that person. Well, and it's a small enough city that even sleeping on the sidewalk, he was known by sight. He was recognized enough that someone wanted to take care of him. Mm -hmm. Enough to go through his phone and find a familiar num name mm -hmm. and call me. In a larger city, a more sprawling city, you see someone passed out. I mean, it's kind of like that's their problem. You yeah. don't know them. Yeah, it's it's more impersonal. Exactly. That's yeah. That's that's that sense of community as well. Yeah. The one of the things that the article pointed out that I think is related to this vibrant community aspect is that when you do this 15-minute neighborhood development style, you can choose to create, instead of more opportunities for monopolistic businesses like Walmart or you know, whatever you have, instead of a Walmart going into a place and serving, you know, the, the next 10 miles around or whatever, however big the radius is for a Walmart, you have like your little bodega or your small family owned grocery store mm -hmm. that might even be more efficient in certain things or like have higher quality products or what have you. And maybe not, but you're still providing a new business, like a new ownership opportunity. You're enfranchising people more actually giving them part of that american dream you know totally. that that myth yeah we the, can have another discussion on the american dream another day yeah but but so so if you choose to you can because you could also 
I'm sure somebody could some venture capital or some like, you know, hedge fund or whatnot or, or private equity firm rather could probably figure out if this building style became popular, a way to exploit it, a way to like create a cookie cutter. Of like, course. Like we will be every small community owned grocery store in every 15 minute neighborhood. And, Such bullshit. You know, like, like yeah. you're reminding me, like even in Lawrence and the style of 15 minutes, neighborhoods if you allow for small businesses to thrive that there, there's like a diversification of of goods available to the consumer as well mm -hmm. because rather than more competition too right because i'm thinking about lawrence where there's like specialty stores at one point there was like an olive oil store mm -hmm. there's like a kitchen goods store um, there's been the european market store there for european decades European market like, store like you if would you not want... think that that would be successful. Right. Holy shit, is it successful? Right, because you know, if people want this type of chocolate or this type of like gifts, cook cookware, a lot even, of international like, students. But rather too. than going to one store and yeah. like seeing like, okay, I have like ten options. Everyone in the city probably has one of these ten options. You can go and get something that's like, kind of, you know, crafty or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just love unique goods from local local mm -hmm. businesses who who do their personal shopping for their stores. Yeah. This idea of economic enfranchisement through designing neighborhoods that are smaller and more self-sustaining, uh, using that as a, a way to enfranchise a, a whole generation of new business owners would be transformative to the country. And it would be really in line with my whole ethos of, I'd really like it if the majority of businesses were owned by the people who do the actual work you know not not somebody who had the capital to invest in the technology or to uh buy the real estate or to build the build like you know whatever like okay so you had a bunch of money and then you made phone calls and did emails for a little while like okay that there's some skill in that i'm not going to discount that but the gist of it is, if you are in a grocery store setting, if you're the person who is waking up and throwing on the lights and doing the orders and yeah. interfacing with the customers and doing the HR stuff and you support your family doing that. Yeah, like a legitimate small th business. There should not be a huge corporation that's taking a cut of whatever you're doing because they're not act they're not really providing any value. They're right. just owning a thing, right. an asset, a piece of infrastructure. People talk about automation is going to you know, cause such and such amount of people to not be able to have job. And yeah, that's fucked up. That's real fucked up. And people who are in the ownership class love that because in the long run, if you can buy a machine and just buy it for $100,000 or whatever and service it for you know $10,000 a year and you pay somebody that vehicle of that to keep it going for however many years that's a lot cheaper in a certain situation than paying a salary and health insurance and you know it doesn't get sick it doesn't take sick days or vacation or whatever and so the more industries that you can figure that out for the more the ownership class can disenfranchise the labor class it used to be that you know i i saw a guy post something today about how in the early days of automotive um manufacturing well motor carriages quote unquote back in the day everything was put together by skilled tradesmen you know you were having to file metal down and like actually beat things into place and do upholstery by hand and um you know in a way cars were kind of bespoke things that took days to put together and every bit of it was created by a skilled craftsman so 
the owners at the time didn't really like that because you can't just fire somebody, you know, and pick up Joe bullshit off the street and have him do your upholstery now because then his upholstery is going to look like shit because he doesn't know how to do it. Like, he doesn't know how to do it like that trade craftsman that you fired did. But the more that you can automate, the more that you can make work easier, the more that you can simplify it. Wasn't it the Ford company that was the first to do that? Well, they were the first to, well, they were the first to popularize the idea of the assembly line. The assembly line uh-huh. where that worker, rather than building, knowing how to build the whole car, you do this one. Well, well ra- rather than saying, like, they know everything there is to know about metal work, they, yeah. just, they just push in this one screw now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was supposed to, like, empower the worker or something. Like they, That's the propaganda. They it was really it too... in school mm-hmm. to make it seem like this, like, changed the game for everybody when really it took power away from the worker. Well, so it did for a while. In So one of the graphs that I really like is uh, one from um, Department of the Treasury or who, whoever keeps statistics on um, wages and, and productivity and all of that. Uh, Commerce Department or something, I don't know. But anyway, from our nation's founding or whenever they started keeping records of all this stuff, to about 1980, the uh, the graphs for productivity and average wage are basically in sync, like overlapping. And then 1980, the one for average wage kind of tails off and flattens out, but productivity keeps rising just exponentially. And so you see that we as a country are producing more than ever before, more efficiently than ever before, you know, just killing it. But yet our average workers' wages are nominally the same as they were 40 years ago, effectively worth much less. Right. And a lot of that is due to labor having a weaker position at the bargaining table. And some of that is due to the depersonalization of labor. The easier that you can make something, you know, the more repetitive, the quote-unquote lower skilled you can make a job then the less you have to specialize in something and be good at something and develop a skill and become a skilled tradesperson the less value you have to the company to the company or the less bargaining power that you have because they can replace you easily yeah the more easily replaceable the the more that a person is like a nameless faceless cog in a machine the better it is for the ownership class. Right, and as an aside, I'd like to mention Peter doesn't use the self-checkouts at the grocery store. I try not to, yeah. Yeah, like, he doesn't use those, and I I was always curious why, but he told me it was because the more we use the self-checkouts, that's taking work away from an actual person who needs that job. There are people working there who need the job. Let them do their job. If everyone used a self-checkout, that's people who are out of work. Talk about taking away personalization from work. I mean, I know this is its own topic, but replacing even something like a a checkout person Mm -hmm. with this machine that can do the job, like you said, without any of the hassle of having to deal with an actual human being. I'm just kind of boiling it down just to our local grocery store, Mm -hmm. but just seeing how you interacted in the grocery store was really eye-opening to me because I hadn't really thought about You know, and it's not not just, oh, machines bad, taking away jobs from low, like, quote-unquote, low-skill people. There's more thinking to it than that. It's fucked up in my mind that we as a society can make advancements that are as, that are so great as to displace 
vast swaths of people from needing to work. And I think if we make advancements like that, that society as a whole should have to work less. Because right now, nowhere in the country can a minimum wage worker afford a single family apartment. Right. Right. And, you know, if, if we are not setting up society to where people who are just average doing the best that they can can't keep a roof, put food on the table, clothe their kids, send them to school, shit, even afford to have kids, you know, that's that's a privilege nowadays. It is right. a privilege to have children in the United States in 2020, which is devastating, because then if you have them, we blame people as like morally messing up their lives if they have children and and they don't have enough money or something we Mm -hmm. shame people for having children when that shouldn't be something you can only do if it's a privilege right oh yeah when when, when when a society mainly values you by how much you can produce and how much profit you can bring into your own household and maybe you're not the most economically well off and having a kid causes you to not do everything that you possibly can to exploit yourself to or others to make enough money to right. support yourself. At a point, you just got to take a step back and say, this, maybe it's not all of these individuals, all of these hundreds of thousands of people who are fucking up so bad that they deserve to live in the conditions that they live in. Maybe the system is fucked up. Maybe this is not a good system. So I'm 31 years old. I was born in what was known as the savings and loan crisis like zero years old like day one that shit was going on and billions of dollars of assets were basically destroyed and and ripped apart and sold to like vulture capitalists and all sorts of shit like that so coming into the world that's the big thing and then when i turned 12 there's a huge dot-com bubble burst that causes something very similar. And then when I'm 20, the real estate market collapses. And then when I'm, shit, what would that be? That We're only in 08 now at that point. What other fucked up shit happened? I mean, and so then, you know, we get into present day and we've got coronavirus and, you know, what do we got? A, a quarter of American adults unemployed, something like that. So I've been alive for 30 years and basically, you know, every... 10 years or so there's a huge collapse and like all these working people lose their homes and their savings and their livelihood but yet most rich people just keep acquiring shit they just keep getting more and more wealthy why do we live in a society where that's the case like how did how did we all agree that this is how we were going to structure all of this it can't be that just working people are so so stupid or evil or or whatever so morally bankrupt that that every 10 years or so we got to have a major collapse really it's like we have a downturn every like four years no the system is unstable inherently yeah and the only people who suffer are the people who are like from like the the bottom 45 percent or so Mm -hmm. and if you're above that you're maybe experiencing some minor inconveniences but you're not what, what was it? 60% of Americans couldn't take a $400 expense right now without going into debt. And it's just like, yeah, I wonder what the number is now after a few months of coronavirus and all the service industry people getting laid off because those were the most vulnerable people. Right. If almost the majority of your society is living on the edge of ruin, maybe your society is too exploitative. It's at least a conversation worth having. And we have in it. Yeah, start with the 15-minute neighborhood concept 
end with um, socializing the manufacture of firearms and giving them to the poor. I actually wanted to take it back to the 15-minute neighborhood. Okay, yeah. It was just a thought as I was reading the article, but I was a little bit irked that this is popularized post-pandemic, and they were talking about how COVID-19 and quarantine and all that is what really like brought this to light, that this was a convenience that people needed. Mm-hmm. When we've been talking about marginalized people and food desert and how poor infrastructure and transportation issues make it difficult for people to get to work and... Mm-hmm. You see these capitalism, what do you call them, like savior stories or whatever, about people walking 15 miles to work every day and their coworkers coming together and buying them a car. Peter always says, rather than celebrating these failures of capitalism, why should anyone have to be walking 15 miles to work? Instead, we turn it into this glory story of look at all these other working class people sacrificing and pulling their few resources together to buy this person a car so that they don't have to suffer. No, let's talk about why the system was broken to begin with, why this even needed to happen to begin with. It's messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my favorite one but, of those is the kid that runs the lemonade stand to pay off the student lunch debt at his elementary school. It's just like, first off, back up. What is student lunch debt? Are, you, are we looking at these children to have jobs and pay for their lunch every day? Is that, oh no, their parents. What the fuck? Just stop shaming these kids. Stop, like, fucking lunch debt. We're the greatest country in the world. Why are we not able to feed our kids? Right. So... These are all failures of capitalism, and I'm frustrated that we weren't talking about 15-minute neighborhoods before, when people not having, like, access to work and to grocery stores and things like that have been a major issue. Mm -hmm. But those voices didn't matter enough. It was, like, conversations about why fast food places populate around those lower-income neighborhoods, but maybe not nicer grocery stores and things like that. Rather than talking about, yeah, let's restructure our communities to make them more convenient for everyone, not just people with vehicles, you know? Mm -hmm. It takes a pandemic for it to inconvenience those in our country with power and privilege Mm -hmm. to start having these conversations. Yeah, that's a good point. It's really annoying. Our neighborhoods really take on the character of whoever the privileged class is because they're the ones who are able to mobilize resources, develop land, have political pull to get land zoned a certain way so that it can be developed and all so of that. So don't you see how, like, why yeah. that annoys me? Like, no, from, I, I from the get-go yeah. reading this article, I was like, why weren't we talking about this 15 years ago? I think there have been people talking about it, but like you said, the social conditions right now have inconvenienced enough people that it enough is having another... Privileged people. Like a, yeah, enough, enough privileged people that there is a spotlight being turned on it now.